Well, good morning. My name is Matt Meyer. I'm one of the college pastors here. And before we get started, I just want to make sure everyone has what they need. Did you all get one of these cards that were near the doors where you came in this morning? You're going to need it in a little bit. And if you didn't get one, I'd invite you to raise your hand. The ushers can bring one around to you. You also are going to need a pen. They can bring you a pen as well. So if you need one of these, put your hand up in the air. And while they're bringing those around, I want to ask you a question as we start out. What's one of your favorite stories? Right? Everybody loves a good story. There's so many to choose from, so you don't have to pick your absolute favorite. But what's one of your favorite stories? I personally like the Lord of the Rings trilogy a lot. Um, I, I, I would watch the extended cut. Um, I love the stories, the imagery that's going on there. But when my son, Luke, who's 20 now, and he might, uh, I don't know if he'd care about me telling this story or not. When he was young, Rich knows my son well, when he was young, we spent a lot of time reading and watching stories about Thomas the Train, right? Anybody familiar with Thomas and Percy and James and Edward and all the friends, Cranky the Crane, on the island of Sodor, right? Those were like, every day, that's what my, we used to go to Barnes and Noble just so he could play with the trains, right? Those stories were just something that will define his childhood. So what's one of your favorites? Kids, I think we have kids in the room too. Kids, if you don't have one of these cards, you're going to need one too, okay? So raise your hand. And if you don't have one, you can use a different piece of paper. It doesn't really matter that much. But kids, I want you to think about this too. What's one of your favorite stories? Okay, and then right now, you've got a couple of seconds, maybe 15, 20 seconds. Share it with somebody next to you. If you're at home, share it with somebody that's there with you watching. Or if you're by yourself, maybe put it in the chat bar and interact that way. But just share with somebody, what's one of your favorite stories? So, anyone want to shout out one of their favorite stories? Star Wars. Well, Star Wars is a family favorite at my house. I went to the movies in the theaters when they first came out. So did my wife. We introduced them to our kids. We just finished watching season two of The Mandalorian. Phenomenal. So well done the way they're doing it. What else? Princess Bride. That's a great story. Huh? Bonanza. Oh, wow. That's an, that's an old one. Last night, we had David and Goliath from one of the kids that was sitting down front. You ever thought about, why do we like stories so much? They, they draw us in, right? They kind of suck us in, and we have to hear the end, right? I'm watching a series on Netflix right now, and I'm not real thrilled with the whole story, but man, I got to know how it ends, so I got like four episodes left from this season, and then I might just stop after this season, but I got to know the mystery of, you know, who's the bomber type thing. So author James Bryant Smith says it this way. He says it's because we are creatures who live by our stories. From the time we're young, our parents tell us stories, which help us interpret how life is or how life ought to be. Jesus taught primarily in stories. And one reason might be because they're so memorable, right? If we can't remember all of di Jesus' didactic teaching. And it may be hard for us to remember all of the Beatitudes, but almost every one of us can remember the story of the prodigal son. It's a story. It's easier to remember. 
When we have a significant experience in our life, right? One that shapes us or molds us in some way, what do we do? We turn it into a story that we tell to other people. My kids love it, by the way. They always ask me to tell them stories from when I was younger, especially when I was in high school or my college days because I had a friend named Jason who was a bit crazy. And, and they're always like, tell us a story about when you and Jason did this. Even if they've heard the story before, they want to know it. We're fascinated with stories, right? Researcher Frederick Jameson states, narrative is the central function of the human mind. Narrative is the central function of the human mind. What's he mean by that? I think what he's saying is that the, the primary thing that we do in our brains is turn everything into a story so we can figure it out, so we can make sense of life. We dream in narrative. We daydream in narrative. We remember in narrative. We anticipate through stories. We hope, we despair, we believe, we doubt, we plan, we revise, we criticize, we construct, we gossip, we learn, we hate, and we love by narrative. We can't escape it. We are storied creatures. Our stories help us navigate our world. They help us understand right from wrong. They help provide meaning to our lives, which is where we get the phrase, so the moral of the story is, right? It helps provide meaning. There's a lot of types of narratives or stories, right? There's family narratives, which I mentioned earlier. Our parents tell us stories to impart their worldview and their values to us. There's a cultural narrative, which we learn by growing up in a certain region of the world. There's religious narratives, that inform us on who God is, what he's like, what he asks of us, what he desires for us. And James Bryan Smith goes on to say this. He says, we are shaped. Our lives are formed by our stories. He says, our stories, once in place, determine much of our behavior without regard to their accuracy or helpfulness. Once these stories are stored in our minds... They stay there largely unchallenged until we die. And here's the main point. The narratives, these narratives that are in our heads are running and ruining at times our lives. Hence the main point, the crucialness of getting the right narratives into our minds. So let me ask you a question as we come to the end of 2020. What's the story you're telling yourself about this year? This is a reflective time of year for a lot of people, right? We're almost finished with a year, about ready to start a new year. What's the story you're telling yourself about 2020? See, that's a loaded question, right? Because it's been such a tough year. So many things made it tough. COVID-19 pandemic, economic recession, political tensions, racial tensions. See, for many people, this year has meant the loss of a job, maybe a plummeting 401k, or even the loss of a loved one. I just heard three days ago of a friend, former mentor, teacher of mine from when I was in college, who just passed from complications due to COVID-19. 
it's a rough year. And I think many people right now are ready to, let's just flip the calendar over. It's been such a bad year. Ready for a new one. But the reality is, things in the world are not going to get magically better just because the clock strikes midnight on January 1st. So a better question to ask ourselves would be, what's the narrative that God wants us to carry with us about this year, next year, and every year after that? What's the narrative God wants us to live by this year, next year, and every year after that? Or a simpler way of saying that is, as followers of Jesus, what's the true story that's true no matter what our circumstances are? That's what we want to think about this morning I invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 46. That's where we'll be this morning. It's what's on the top of your card. I think this is a great psalm to consider the year that we've just experienced. We're going to take it in sections. It's divided into kind of three sections. We'll start in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, or maybe your Bible says, give way. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. So you might think what's pictured here is an earthquake, but it's actually far greater than that. Because in Old Testament geography, the way they understood the world was that the earth was set on these foundations that were at the very bottom of the subterranean ocean, all the way down at the bottom. Like we would set a foundation for a building, right? That's the way they pictured the earth, was that it was set on these foundations. When you read in scripture about the foundations of the earth or the foundations of the world, that's what's in their mind, is there's these pillars set way down under the ocean that the earth resides upon, and they viewed the mountains as being rooted there as well. And what the psalmist is describing is that the earth and the mountains are collapsing into the sea. He goes on to say that the waters roar and they foam and the mountains quake at the swelling pride of the sea because it's getting so big. It's the idea that the sea is breaking its boundaries. The boundaries, which by the way, God set for it when he created the world in Genesis chapter one. When God created the world, he set boundaries for the sea. He said, you can only go this far. And then he sculpted the mountains and made it. And he set up creation in an orderly fashion. And now it seems that that order is being undone. Doesn't that sound a bit like the year that we just experienced? I don't mean natural disasters. I just mean... Everything about the order of our way of life has been disrupted. And it wasn't just for us here in Nebraska. It was across the globe. Everything is different. Going to work is different now. Going to school is different. The way we say hello and greet each other is different. Purchasing food and items is different. Eating out is different. Going to church, if it's allowed, if you can, if your church can do it, it's different. Traveling, if it's allowed, is different. The holidays are different. So much 
is different. And the psalmist is saying, even if it was worse than that, and the very structure of creation was giving way, God is still our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. We do not have to fear. In fact, the psalmist says, we will not fear. Now, I want you to notice that after verse three, in my Bible, it's over kind of on the right-hand side of the column, there's the word selah. And this word occurs 71 times in the Psalms. Scholars are kind of divided upon what it means. Some of them think it means silence because the Psalms are really a song book. So it's, they're saying, okay, this is time when you don't sing, or this is a time maybe when there's an instrumental. Some others think that it means pause or it means end. So we're going to use it this morning as a way to slow down and pause and dwell for a few minutes on what the psalmist has just told us. So I'm going to invite you into an experiment with me this morning, a couple of them. We're going to do it multiple ways throughout the morning. But for this first one, we're going to seek to dwell on this idea that God is a refuge and a stronghold for us. And kids in the room, I want you to participate in this too. In fact, we're all going to become like kids for a few minutes and use our imaginations. Now, you might be thinking, ah, I don't have much of an imagination, and studies have shown that as you get older, your imagination and your creativity seems to go down, but I can prove to you this morning that you have an imagination with one question. Can you worry? Because if you can worry, then you have an imagination. And many of us need to learn to use our imagination for good. Artists understand this, right? Our imagination can be used for good or for ill, and we want to try using it right now to reflect on God's word. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of me giving you and describing a picture of a stronghold for you, I'm going to ask you to invite Jesus to give you a picture of a stronghold or a refuge. We know it can be easy to be distracted, so just for a moment, if it helps you to focus, I invite you to close your eyes. And ask Jesus to give you a picture of a refuge. What's a safe place for you? Kids, maybe for you this is at home in your bed, all bundled up under the covers. Maybe it's sitting on your parents' lap, enveloped in a hug. Everyone else, maybe it's a different picture. Maybe it's a castle or a fortress or a locked door. I I don't know. I don't know what the picture the Holy Spirit might want to give to you. But I'm going to give you a few seconds to talk to Jesus right now. And ask him to give you a picture of a stronghold or a refuge. Go ahead and do that right now. You know, as you have that picture, I want you to ask Jesus to do something else for you, to reveal something else to you. Ask him to show you what it is that you think Jesus as your stronghold can't protect you from. What is it that Jesus as your stronghold can't protect you from, at least what you think he can't protect you from? 
And now as you're picturing yourself in that stronghold, I'm going to read the first three verses of the psalm over you again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change or give way, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, we will not fear. God is our refuge and strength, a very ready help in trouble. Amen. So that was our first pause and reflect. Thank you for experimenting with me. I'm going to invite you to take your card out at this moment. And kids, if, if you have one of these cards or you have something to write on, I'd invite you to draw a picture of the refuge, the thing you just were picturing in your head, a stronghold, a safe place for you. Draw a picture as we continue to think about this idea of God as our refuge. Everyone else, we're going to use the front of the card in a different way later. But right now, I want to draw your attention to the back of the card. So the back of the card here has narratives on it. Three narratives that I think we find pictured in this psalm. They're certainly uh, found in other places in Scripture. The teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Paul. Certainly Hebrews tells us that the kingdom of God is unshakable. And they're listed here in the way that I learned them from author James Bryant Smith, which is, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong kingdom of God that is unshakable and the kingdom is not in trouble and neither am I. Now in the psalm, they're kind of all mixed together. But I think the first one that we see is actually the second narrative. The stuff we just looked at in verses one through three, I think is the second narrative. We live in the strong kingdom of God that is unshakable. No matter what happens, God is our refuge and strength. Even if the earth gives way, even if everything around us changes, even if it gets worse next year, we will not fear because we live in the strong kingdom of God that's unshakable. These are the narratives that I seek to have in my mind each day. These are the stories that I'm telling myself about 2020 and 2021. Maybe they'll be helpful for you as well. Let's look at the next section of the psalm and see where these narratives jump out at us. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So in these verses, the psalmist is referring to Jerusalem. That's the city of God. The image of a river is meant to be contrasted with the roaring waters from the first section, right? And sometimes we think of a river as roaring or dangerous, but the word used in Hebrew in this particular verse for river means a gentle stream. The idea is that the city is a well-watered, almost like garden, 
that the inhabitants have everything they need and they're protected because God dwells with them. We're told twice in there that God is in the midst of the city and it won't be moved. For the Israelite, this was a picture of the temple, right? Because the temple was where God dwelt among his people. They're protected because God is in their midst. The picture here is that the nations around them are making an uproar. They're like the chaotic forces seen in the first part of the psalm, except in a reversal, these kingdoms, these earthly kingdoms, they fall, they totter, much like the mountains did in the first section. The picture here is of the protective presence of God. The city will not be moved because God is within her. The Lord or Yahweh of armies is with us. The word Lord in verse seven is the word Yahweh in Hebrew. It's the personal name of God. The name Yahweh emphasizes the unchanging self-existence of God. It assures God's presence with his people. It's connected with God's power to work on behalf of his people and keep his covenant with them. All of that's what's wrapped up in that word Yahweh. The Lord of armies, the Yahweh of armies is with us. The reason Israel is safe is because they are God's chosen people. He resides with them. He is in their midst in the temple. So how does this translate for us, right? Because we don't live in a walled city. We don't have warring tribes around us. We don't really have a temple. Well, as we read through the New Testament, especially the teachings of Paul, we would see him telling us that as followers of Jesus... As people who have trusted in the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, that we are now the temple of God. That the Holy Spirit has come to reside in us. We are the place where God resides with his people. He dwells in us. And the reason we are safe is because God dwells in us. He has sent his spirit to live inside of you and inside of me. I am one in whom Christ dwells. And delights. The nations make an uproar. Everything around us in the earthly kingdoms seems to be going crazy, but the kingdom of God is not of this world. As Jesus told Pilate, it is strong and unshakable. God is our stronghold. Now, I want you to notice there's another Selah after verse 7. So the psalmist is saying, slow down. Pause, dwell here for a minute. Think about these ideas, reflect on them. And so for this one, I'm gonna invite you to consider the idea that I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights and that God is a very ready help in trouble in your life. He's with you no matter what's happening in your life. He's near and ready to help. So we're gonna give you a few minutes to talk to God about the concerns that are on your heart. What are your needs? What are your fears as you head into 2021? First Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. The way we humble ourselves before God is to tell him our needs. He wants to hear them from you because he cares for you. Kids, you can do this too. Just take a few minutes, tell God your needs, your fears, 
Parents, this might be a time for you to pray quietly with your children. Probably depends on their age. Or we're going to give you about three or four minutes, and Brian's going to play softly underneath. And just a time for you to talk to God about what the concerns are that are on your heart. Because he's a very present help in trouble. And then Brian and Rich will lead us into a song that's along this theme as well.
Thank you that you are near to us. That you didn't stay far away, that you sent Jesus to come and be amongst us, and that you send your spirit to live inside of us. Thank you that you're a very present help in trouble. Amen. So we have one more section of the psalm, verses 8 through 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts, of armies, is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So in verse 8, we have the term Yahweh again. The God of Israel is working on behalf of his people. What's he doing? Well, he's inflicting horrific events in the earth, which seems a little confusing until you realize it's explained in the next verses. Yahweh is the one who causes wars to end to the ends of the earth. He stops them. 
He breaks the bow. He cuts the spears in two of Israel's enemies. He burns their chariots with fire. He's the one who is their protector. So even if they're surrounded, even if as a nation, Israel goes up against other nations with impossible numbers, God is their rescuer. This happened multiple times in the Old Testament, right? Where Israel is way outnumbered, and God is the one who defeats their enemies. Again, we have this repeated idea that God is with his people, and so they are safe. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. And then we have verse 10. Probably the most well-known verse in this psalm. Quoted all the time, put on plaques. Your Bible might say, be still and know that I am God. But I actually like the New American Standard better because it says, cease striving. And actually in the Hebrew, the word striving isn't there. So it just says, cease or stop. It's not the idea of slow down, be quiet and meditate, be still and think. Like, that's not, it's not like Selah. It's more the idea, stop trying to be God. The sentence reads, stop and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth, which is exactly what would happen when Israel would go up against outnumbered, you know, they were way outnumbered by their enemies, by these warring tribes around them. And then God would come in and he would rescue them. Who would be the one that was acknowledged? It was Israel's God who was exalted. And in some ways, 2020 has given us all an opportunity to stop and know that God is God. And yet there are times this year where I found myself still trying to be God. Because when things are out of control, like they have been so many times this year, what do we do? We try to control something no matter how small it is. And even if I can't control anything, and I realize it, I still find myself striving by worrying. So how do we counteract that? I'm going to give you two ideas. The first one has to do with the way the psalm ends. I want to draw your attention to the fact that verse 11 is an exact copy of verse 7. Section 2 of the psalm ended with this statement, the Lord of armies is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. That's the same thing repeated in verse 11. What's the psalmist doing? He's repeating a narrative to remind himself and his readers of what's true. The God, the Lord of angel armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Those names, those words, they had all kinds of meaning for the Israelites. But they don't carry quite as much meaning for us. That's where these narratives for me come into play that are on this card. When I find myself worrying, when I find myself striving, trying to control something, I'll just repeat these narratives to myself. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong kingdom of God that's unshakable. 
and the kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. And sometimes, just saying them in my head helps. Sometimes it doesn't. So if it's appropriate, if I'm in a good place, I'll say them out loud. And I can't explain it, but there's something different that happens. It's mysterious, but I think there's something powerful that happens when I declare truth out loud. So I'll say them with some force. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong kingdom of God that's unshakable, and the kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. What am I doing? I'm reframing the story that's in my head. I'm restructuring the narrative. I'm challenging what my circumstances, what the world, what the media, what anybody might try to tell me. Maybe that will help you as you head into 2021. Maybe these narratives will be helpful for you. The second thing I think is helpful is, has to do with the last Selah, right? Did you see? There's one more. The psalmist says, pause again. Think about, reflect on what we've just looked at. And so for this pause, I'm going to invite you to take three or four minutes and express your gratitude to God. You know, in our house, we say gratitude is like magic. If one of our kids is having a rough time or they're discouraged or they're upset with a sibling, we ask them to give us five things they're thankful for. Right there at that moment, we count them off on our fingers. They can't leave. They can't do anything else until they do that. Why do we do that? Because we're trying to reframe the story that's going on in their head. And full disclosure, there are times when my wife asks me to give her five things that I'm grateful for, and we count them off. Why? Because I'm not immune. Adults get their head into the wrong places, maybe faster than kids sometimes, right? And we get worried, and we get frustrated, And what does gratitude do? It takes my mind off of my worries, off of my frustrations, and it reframes it and sets it on God as my provider and my protector. So for these next few minutes, I invite you to thank God for how he's provided for you. Thank him for what he's done this year. Thank him for maybe the things that you've taken for granted. The fact that you have clothes to wear more than you need a roof over your head. You're probably not worried about where your next meal's coming from. You have clean water to drink. You have a soft bed to sleep in. There's five right there. I'm gonna challenge you to do more. In fact, I am gonna encourage you to write it down on the cards. Kids, you can do this too. Make a list. Writing it down will help focus your mind. And when you're done, you can look at the list and it will reframe. Seeing it in front of you is different than just listing them off in your head. It will reframe. In fact, it's a good practice every day to try to name off three or four things that you're thankful for. The book of James says that every good and perfect gift, all the things you're going to write down here in a minute, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Your God is a very present help in trouble. He's a gracious God who gives you good gifts. So take a few minutes, three or four, 
and make a gratitude list. And then I'll close us in prayer and we'll sing another song together.
Father, thank you that you are a stronghold, a safe place for us. Jesus, thank you that you came so we could draw near. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you came to dwell in us, that we are those in whom Christ through his spirit dwells and delights. God, thank you that your kingdom is not of this world, yet we can participate in it right now in this world, and it's strong and unshakable. And we thank you that no matter what happens, the kingdom's not in trouble, and neither are we. We pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.